The basic choice is freedom or slavery, unless you live in a world where freedom is slavery. Since I'm a Christian and I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus Christ, there's this thing in my head that says slavery must be good in some at least platonic way. Platonic way, if you take things like Plato seriously. But uh, <laughs> um, but my guess is that you, like me, would agree that generally living as a slave in on this planet, we call it Earth, in one language at least, there's TV here, we listen to radio, there's no extraterrestrials that we know of that we can see, and like, they're physical. It's just Earth, and we're here, and we're a bunch of people, and I think most of us would rather be free than slaves. And I think my, my friend here, Dr. Adam Coons, Reverend Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, he would agree with me. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Uh, maybe not, though. Maybe you're here to actually advocate human enslavement. Is that what we're here for? <laughs> yeah, we waited this long. How many episodes in are we? Well, no, I, mean, I had someone go, get on me about monarchism today a little bit in the Discord. And it's like, well, uh, what's the difference? All, all kings are tyrants. Down with them. <laughs> so I think that that's a it's a great discussion and I, it needs to happen more. I also think that this is going to be part of what we're talking about here going forward a lot because the, when I said that I thought America's founders were the people that actually built the farms and you know planted the fields and these sorts of things rather than men who wrote documents um, who were largely unacquainted with physical labor. I didn't say that as a sort of like a, a pandering thing. I said that because one of the things that's unusual about America, and therefore it's it's one of the actually valuable things that then gets kind of mocked, is historically, probably doesn't exist for a lot of Americans anymore, historically, the idea that you come here to do what you want according to how you think things should happen. Mm -hmm. And that obtains on a really low-level basis, right? So Israel has had a really, really stringent set of lockdowns, I think maybe more than any other country in the world. And they are now beginning to issue what are called freedom bracelets, <laughs> which means that instead of being under quarantine, you can, you know, go around like a normal person, like into a store. Clean and unclean. Yeah. You're telling me you tell me the Jewish nation is is acting with clean and unclean law. I mean, I am not one of these guys that says it's in the blood like that. I'm concerned about the Antichrist in Rome. I'll go off on that one with you. But but they actually are enacting clean unclean laws. That's fascinating. And the whole world's gonna fall suit. It would too. that's weird too. Weird. Well, I think I think I think everyone has been doing clean and unclean at least this past year. And it is based on superstition, yeah, um, yeah. My, your studies, my studies, her studies, his studies. And the issue there is that you now have to wear something in order to be free, which means that your freedom isn't like, and, and here we don't, we don't mean voting. Okay. So the discussion about monarchy that we're having amongst ourselves or anything like that is not specifically about government structure. Mm, and the yeah. stuff that we're talking about today obtains whether you're under a distant monarchy or you live in a city state or you live in a republic. And this has to do with things that are a little bit more basic and more crucial to everyday life than 
whether you're ruled over by a king or an oligarchy or nebulous corporations or whatever. Right. Because when you have a freedom bracelet or when they're saying that you're unclean if you haven't gone through these procedures, so you can't fly in a plane or you can't come into this state or if you do come into this state, the state police will check up on you while you're here, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The purpose of all of those things is to take away basic freedoms that somewhat like when we talked about how America wasn't built to save the family because nobody envisioned our being where we are now. Similarly, when we're talking about freedom versus slavery, you're talking about something that, yes, is a political question in different ways in American history, but really only in the consideration of like legal chattel slavery does anything this deep come up in American history? That right, is what I'm, right. what I'm what I'm saying is what we part of what we fought each other over in the 1860s is something that we are running back into, but I think it's difficult to recognize it because it's also not as clear as chattel slavery was in the various law codes back in the 19th century. Unless you have the Rosetta Stone. I think it's I think it's pretty clear and I think it's pretty clear how much certain ethnicities are benefited and not benefiting from this. And while all ethnicities are welcome to maybe almost jump to the top as a whole, certain people groups are slated for removal and on they go, you know, and I'm not going to tell you who and I'm not going to tell you I'm the only one I'm thinking of. But uh, I'm not I don't think German Lutheran men are off that list. either. I mean, we're not. Yeah, they're not looking out for us. Well, I think I think that. One of the, probably the most basic thing to say historically about slavery in America or anywhere else is not to look at it as you were probably taught to in school right. as a as a basically racial phenomenon. Right. But both because American slavery included whites, blacks, and Indians in differing proportions at different times. So early 18th century slavery is mainly a white phenomenon. That is, slaves are mainly whites in the United in what becomes the United States. Later on, that changes, and pretty much any race has been enslaved to some degree by any other race at, at various points in history. It's not a racial phenomenon. It's not a new world phenomenon. It's not yeah. a Western phenomenon. It is a global reality that happens over and over again most of the time. Right, right. And, and this is also why a lot of times when people look into things like human trafficking, they are at first shocked because the narrative you're, that you're taught about history is that slavery was about race and we overcame both the dislike of people of African descent or are overcoming it or need to commit to free tuition for historically black colleges to overcome it, whatever the demand is. And then also that legally, especially in the 19th century, first the slave trade and then the legality of slavery is abolished. That's really kind of naive, even if it does obtain like slavery is illegal in the United States now. It's naive because it doesn't see things like the slave trade to the Arab countries out of Africa was vastly larger than the slave trade that moved Africans to, sold by other Africans, let's be totally honest, to the new world. So then your question is, okay, well, when did they get rid of slavery in what became Saudi Arabia? Or how did that happen? And what you're looking at at that point is not something that has to do necessarily with race, even though in the Arab world, whites, that is Europeans, let's say, 
Europeans are treated differently and used for different purposes than Africans generally by Arab slave traders. They're sold at different values for different tasks. But the basic reality here is what we would call economics or in a different sense, money, or in a psychological or spiritual sense, greed. Right, right. And so when we're talking about slavery or freedom, we're talking about something that is basically an issue about human greed and human use and human use of other humans. And that's the way to begin to see if you can't already how we, I think we're on the verge of another age of slavery, yeah, right, open right, slavery. Right, right, right. I want to say how, just to use some, some Talib language here, slavery is the desire to take your skin out of the game and imbalance the equation. And, it, and to enact it, it requires violence to maintain the unnatural system. So yeah. it is an unnatural system of brotherhood, which man on this rock, whether we're from apes or made by a guy who made talking snakes, we're all acting this way. <laughs> we're all acting this way. And Tlaib can see it. He is a Christian, but it's not why he's seeing it. Um, this, is, this is a natural thing. And that's why the question, you know, the basic choice, I think, is so important, freedom or slavery. So when I mentioned like the idea of, of Christian slavery in, in eternity, I don't imagine that as a world in which my will is being subjected against itself to right. not itself to its own demise. Right. Um, and, and rather, it's the opposite of that, which I think what most people mean when they say freedom now, what we're, what we're desiring is a freedom of conscience, ultimately, for my will to be at peace with itself. For my body to have be or do or go wherever it needs to go and be at peace with itself. And this is why, but though, so you don't want to argue against law. I mean, clearly my body might decide to murder 15 people, right? And then other bodies mm -hmm. are going to stop it. Well, that's also kind right. of natural. Um, right. But that's where law then becomes the, the conceptual thing, right? Right, right. The issue is really that whether it was called slavery or feudalism or the student debt load that you're laboring under, the issue is in every age, regardless of how kind the master is, that he owns you in a very basic sense. And that, and therefore he occupies your time. He determines your priorities. He determines where you can go without a pass, right? So whether it's a freedom bracelet or a pass for say Jim and Huck Finn. I got to call it out again, again, just because for the, the freedom bracelet and I don't want to go on a, on a yeah. Israel Judaism thing at the moment, but really, again, there was a time when when people who were Jews were being marked publicly with with hall passes to make sure people knew they were not supposed to be where they were or actually to keep them from going where they're supposed to go. Right. So it's kind of the inversion here. But of all the nations on the planet that should see how bad this can be fast, you would think it would be this one. I, I mean, given the history I was taught in high school, I, you would think this would not be where they'd be going, publicly marking people as allowed to go here and not there. It's That's nuts to me historically. Absolutely well, nuts. Well, I, I think the insight that human beings should be relatively free to determine what they do with their days is extremely rare because it's generally inconvenient to anyone who wants power over someone else's labor. Right. And... The image that some people have of at least parts of the American past, for instance, about, say, the family farm, even that is a misunderstanding often of the incredible debt slavery that many American farmers, especially 
the ones who came in the 19th century and were recent immigrants and were dependent on the railroad and were dependent in many cases on an overseer and they were essentially tenant, permanent tenant farmers. A lot of people misunderstand how truly rare it is for a person to work for himself on his own ground, on his own things. All the farmers that I've known as a pastor are an extraordinary debt that they carry year to year. Right. They're not, right. they're not free. Right. And they right. certainly can't leave. I mean, it's like, I mean, they, they got insurance. So that helps. Insurance is, I mean, the racket's all working, and so it's spinning right. to the top, as long as the dollar hole's good. <laughs> right. Right. They can't leave, and they are beholden to both their lenders, but also to market forces and certain markets, so the good pleasure of the Chinese, things like that, even as, I mean, the structure of agribusiness empties out their communities, and they know it. Yeah, because you just don't need that many people on the you know giant farms to produce what they're being asked to produce now. So the the issue here is that in a condition of slavery, which which I'm saying is historically normal and economically driven, and will exist really probably usually in a human society unless I do something about it. In a condition of slavery, my time and my family and my money and pretty much anything that seems to be my own is not actually finally my own. I don't, I don't really own anything. So when we did the episode about the Great Reset, when I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, it's 2030, you own nothing and you're happy. I thought it's 2020 and you own nothing and you're happy. <laughs> you know, I mean, as long as you keep, as long as, you know, Netflix asks you, are dance, you still watching? And you say, dance, yes. Dance, monkey, dance. We're on that rat wheel. Get up, go, get up, go. Drink more, drink more of something. Go eat, go get more. Right. It'll, be, it'll, it'll be good. College. Right. And so some of the same things that people have been saying in 2020, going into 2021 about things like lockdown or how miserable kids are because they don't get to see anybody and they're doing virtual schooling and stuff. These are, I think, exaggerated versions of the same feelings that people have been saying about like right. commuting to work right. or working in a factory for hundreds of years, truly. Yeah. yeah. Bowling alone, also a good work if you want some some recent study of American psyche on that. I think it's maybe 10 years ago even. Um, so property, though, you made the advocacy there for property rights. And since we are on a fair playing field of where a bunch of monkeys crawled out of a pond, we're going to decide how to work together before they kill us all. Um, convince me that there is a reason there's a thing called property. The reason there's a thing called property is because just observably in the life of children, you don't have to teach them that they own things. You have to teach them <laughs> what it is That's that awesome. they own and that they don't own everything. But they know instinctively that there are things that should not be taken from them. That's why they, they, have, a, they have an innate yeah. sense of justice, right, right, right. which you can then see. It's sort of like, I mean, it, it's like, you know, no, no thief, even if he's a professional murderer, actually plans for and is okay with his own life being taken from him. So like, like, yeah, yes, that's a good one too. I, I, I ran off in my own direction with a similar metaphor. Like everyone has to teach their kids not to steal from them. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> like really at some point you're like, kids, you're stealing from me. I just had a conversation about not opening the window in winter and leaving the door to the hallway open. Right. Like you can do one, <laughs> you can do the other. You can't do both. Right. You're, you're stealing from me. I'm teaching my kids not to steal from me, not to waste my property. I know that instinctively. And so does everybody else. Otherwise you let your kids ruin your stuff all the time. Right. And, and that, so that's, that's my metaphor. You had a more uh, qualified metaphor, I think. Can you repeat that last one? Uh, you know, uh, even someone who is a professional murderer yeah. does not plan for or accept or enjoy the idea that his life will be stolen from him. Right, 
Right. C.S. Lewis gets into this in Mere Christianity and his argument for deism, I think, as well, uh, talking about how all cultures demonstrate, yes, there are times when a man must die, but not any man at any time by any hand um, and that kind of thing. You can go that way through adultery, through lying, through property. Uh, in Christianity, that's the, depending on the account, but for me, the fifth through eighth commandments. And there's something, again, natural about this law that then tells us what freedom is, right? Freedom is when you right. don't take those couple of things from me. Right. And the reason that we're saying that slavery is wrong or we would want to avoid it, and then we'll, you know, we'll get, we'll go in a little bit later to kind of, okay, well, how does that play out in a life today? The reason to do this is because even though it occurs normally, there are lots of things that occur normally in human societies that are not therefore natural or good. They are a product of relationships that rely not on the development of the other person, as in a healthy you know, father-son relationship, like we talked about um, an episode or two back, but they rely on exploitation of a person. That is taking things from him, maybe even his life, because it is more convenient for you that way. So slavery, I mean, our children are under conditions like slaves in the United States because their lives could be taken from them even before they're born. We don't, we don't respect their existence enough to let it be, even if it is massively inconvenient or embarrassing or untoward for us. And I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that usually it has to do with convenience because I think convenience is part of the composition of the modern American spirit that, that makes us so miserable. It's the music we sing our hymns to. <laughs> I mean, it's so, you know, American yeah. religion. It is, it is. It's the convenience store is our, is our sanctuary. In fact, I, I frankly, I feel comfortable when I go to Costco during the pandemic, even though we're all wearing masks, you know where I feel comfortable? Costco. You know why? I grew up at Costco. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about a book called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Grabner. So if you want to talk about uh, monetary policy, which we're going to get into a little bit, not directly, but like economy, yeah. connecting with money as an idea, uh, yeah. this book, Debt, kind of, uh, to my mind, abolishes the idea of a barter system and shows that the history of all trade is more or less based on uh, some form of money debt related to slavery. It just it always is there. And right. so it advocates it by the end is advocating sort of a utopian hope. Right. But, but again, the, the study itself is, is worthwhile to see that the game has been here from the very beginning, as far back as we go. And it's always uh, pressing you into my service if I can. Right. And I want exactly. to add right here, if not with the best lie, then with the best sword, but usually first with the best lie so mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the, the debt is always a story. The receipt is a story. Now, from there, can you hop into, I want to get to your next bullet point then. Mm -hmm. How? Yeah, I think you can. How slavery works in our time as the government's slowly amassing your debt over one or two generations so that, in fact, you're owned by the United States of America. Uh, like, is Ford? Is it Ford or is it Chevy they bought now? I forget which one. It was a couple years ago. It's all getting uh, that would be yeah, it would be Chevy. Ford yeah. has always pursued a slightly different way than the other two, the other two big automakers in Detroit. The issue here, and you, we, we're kind of tipping into it in discussion of both reparations, as I just mentioned in passing earlier, but also in terms of Andrew Yang's proposal, which is you know probably five or ten years too early for a platform, but for universal basic income, which is something that even sort of libertarian-ish leftist outlets like The Economist have pushed in recent years. 
And the idea there is that by owning your debt, either through the student loans or some other you know, measure, that the government will own you. And you can see already that it feels that it does in the freedom that it reserves to itself to determine where you may go and when and by what means. So the idea of an ongoing emergency and people in you know, Arab countries are much more familiar with our current situation under COVID than most of us are. When you have a, a state of perpetual emergency, such as a lot of military dictatorships do, you know, legally within their own boundaries, the purpose of that is not because you have some objective emergency any more than the purpose of the government sending you a check when you actually pay taxes is for the purpose of giving you some new money you didn't actually own. The point here is that the source of your income will determine your freedom or your slavery. So slavery can be, in a physical material sense, much more pleasant for a lot of people, especially when their willpower has been sapped from them by the various opiates, literal or metaphorical, that they take into their body and into their mind every day. And so if they would rather just not deal with it, then they don't have to. The issue that I have with that in a basic philosophical sense is that when you're talking about universal basic income, you're talking about something being provided by someone who is not really a producer. And that sounds kind of like basic, but it is profoundly true that the government doesn't produce something and it's not meant to, it's not supposed to, it doesn't, you know, it, do, it doesn't, uh, you know, build boats let, or let something. Let me suggest, let me just suggest that if we were going to, if we were going to argue there, I would argue that the government exists to produce goodwill in the people. But let's leave it. Let's leave it. Well, I think for that. I, you're using a metaphorical meaning to the term produce. I'm saying the government ah, doesn't I raise see. crops or build boats or build. And, and well, that's when then I would I would argue that the government, because it exists, if if and because it exists, say, like a shepherd to herd a flock for its goodwill. Right. Then from time to time, it might make a road. It might not. It might build a library. It might not. But it would always be sort of for the goodwill of the people, the good result of the people, and that anyone who says there should be a law, that's sort of what they mean when they, they say that. And so I'm, I'm advocating there is a desire for governing or for a hire that leads, right? But now I don't want, I don't, I don't want to detract from the actual point you're making. I was, I was nitpicking. <laughs> so so the, the issue is that the government in trying to arrogate production and income and since the creation of the Federal Reserve, but, but also before that, in instances we've mentioned before, like the Civil War, the government will arrogate to itself both the, the giving to the populace of value, anything of value, usually directly money, but sometimes also the promise of a pension if you sign up for the National Guard or free tuition or reduced tuition or lots of other things. In addition to that, and because of that, the government will arrogate to itself determination over your life that otherwise you don't have, that, that, that it does not have, that it does not naturally have. Because, for instance, if you were, if you just said, look, I don't need to make a bunch of money, I'm just going to move somewhere that there aren't a lot of people, and I'm going to raise some crops, and I'm going to build a house, right? This is the perpetual appeal of Alaska for many Americans. Why do they do that? It's not because it's easy, right? Mm -mm. It is because they're doing it, and no one else is doing it for them, and that is more valuable than anything else. They're living. They are. 
the irony there is that Alaskans all get a direct stipend because of oil production from their state. So they get their milk. (laughs) Yeah. They don't have to go out and actually milk the moose. Hey, I just saw from my sister-in-law who lives in Alaska down off kind of near the the islands a little bit on the coast Mm -hmm. backyard moose. With snowfall via iPhone shot, it was something. It, man, that's something as big as their chicken coop. That's a big chicken coop. Uh, so uh, yeah, yeah, I get, the, I get the appeal. I get the appeal. I also know how hard it is, and that's where then, you know, I think most of the people who are going to be finding this show in the next two years, as it sits here, you know, and kind of yeah. rotates, and people come yeah. on board with the podcast and look back on things. Most of them aren't looking to like pick up and move to Alaska right now. Right. Uh, they might pick up and move to Wyoming. I've known a few who are talking about it. Actually, now here I'm going to make this case now, and I'm going to make the case that you should pick up and move to Rockford. But what I want it to be is really is the case to stay where you are. It's the, it's the case to stay where you are. Okay, and I'm not making this to you particularly, Adam. I'm just you know, throwing this out there. But if you want to fight for America, for me, Rockford is where I should be. And it's where people should come. Because I'm in the backwoods part of a state where they're going to roll out everything in the country last because they don't need to fight here yet. They can do it all by buying votes for the next 10 or 20 years. So we can actually fly under the radar for quite a while. So when the whole country needs to actually have a barrier west of us, right? Where's it? Where's the line? Rockford. That's where the line is. So you want to you be on that? Come join me and make a stand in Rockford. But actually, what I'm advocating is look around where you are and realize you're probably in a similar spot where you're exactly where you need to be. And there's something that needs to be done right now for the future, and you can dig in on that. And so, again, now, bringing it back to economy, right? It becomes recognizing what around you is ready for economy in your family, particularly if possible, right? Is that where we're headed? Yeah, because the way that you're talking is precisely what we're saying when we're talking about the word economics, which is just literally the law of the household. We're not talking about something that is abstract. We're not talking about something that gets defined primarily, first of all, by graphs or coefficients or calculations of utility value. We're talking about something that involves the actual flourishing of concrete human beings, whether that's just you or you and your wife or you and your wife and your kids or whoever lives in your household. and the reason to go there is both because that's where the word starts. It doesn't start as an abstraction. And it's also because it grounds your thinking about things like money in natural goods like family, rather than in sheer calculations of monetary value. And I think that one of the things that we said going all the way back to the beginning of the show, and if you just started and it's 2022 now and you finally got here and you still have to catch up if you're that kind of podcast listener. Congratulations, you have a better grasp on this than I do because I, I barely remember talking about the idea that humanities majors run the world. And the reason for that being that there are things deeper in people than just their capacity to be economically productive. That they have to be stirred and moved and changed. And that all involves obedience to something that has gotten into their brain from someone's speech or production. It really worries me when especially good people who have nice families focus on monetary value when they think about their children's future. That is, get this job, not that one, because you'll make more money. That's okay. That's a calculation that is okay to make. But if it's the sole calculation or the most basic calculation, it's not okay. 
Because the issue there is you're thinking really at the most basic level, how do I slot into the plantation system that I live in? Right. So basically, how can I be most useful to the overlords? Yeah, well, I mean, can I just say the dollar yeah. is a note of debt? Just leave it right there. How can I join the game of debt that is me being in debt to the U.S. government with the U.S. government by the greenbacks in my pocket? The more I have, the more owned I am by them. Right. And so if you and and, and, and by owned, I'm not my saying decision that if you making. Yeah, my decision making is tied to theirs. I cannot be free of mind. I have to do things within a box that is limited to what the greenback will do. And this is where blockchain is is really a unique philosophy and worth checking out at some point. You probably should do an episode on blockchain for real. Yeah. But, you know, because my point is to interrupt and then let you push forward again in a moment. Every dollar bill you have is debt to the U.S. government in your life, in your psyche, in the way you live, in, in your, in your uh, inner person. That's how it functions in your life. It doesn't give you more. You have to protect it the moment you have it. Bury it, invest it. It's like Jesus to you, right? What are you going to do with it? Uh, your talent, you know, how, what's it going to come back with? Is it going to go yeah. down? Because if you don't do anything with it, it'll go down. It is like it is joining a, a cult of sorts. It really is. Because the, the basic good here in life is not actually the accumulation of those things. It's why people can have all of those things, all of those material goods and a certain number of dollars in their bank account. Um, or in their Swiss bank account, and <laughs> yet they can feel empty. And the thing that we're trying to avoid here is the feeling of material success with attendant emptiness. Now, material success is kind of going away for a lot of generations in the Western world. But the emptiness, which was already there for their parents and their grandparents, is actually increasing too, based on suicides and alcoholism and some of the other measures that we've talked about before. So when you look at the future, you have already seen in the past what the accomplishment of material success and wealth was on a societal level, at least, if not in your own family, with an emptiness that attends those things. And in terms of when we talked about what people actually find valuable when they're dying, Having spent your life attending to empty things or vain things or things that prove fruitless in a time of ultimate significance, then you realize that, okay, I just wasted my life because I, because I didn't understand what I was actually supposed to spend my time in my life getting mm -hmm. or seeking. Mm -hmm. So to think about economics as not an abstraction, but as the concrete way in which a household provides for itself so that it can do well so that it can flourish, that, that it should reorient you to what is natural rather than what is unnatural. Because our system runs off things that were deemed in antiquity unnatural. So that's where then, again, uh, every along with, say, conceiving of debt and dollars and monetary policy, not on a gold standard, as a mythology that in fact enslaves you to it, take that off the table for a second and go back to, say, student loan, Go back hmm. to even your water bill, maybe. You have a certain level of tie-in to this. I'm, I'm going to just keep calling it a religion, this thing. Uh, this religious system that believes so firmly in the infallibility of the Federal Reserve to just manage it. Whatever. They know. The economic whatever. Uh, you have to have a way, unless you're off the grid entirely, to be part of that system. So clearly you're not advocating that we just, again, abandon any engagement whatsoever with the world that requires us play as slaves or are you i mean what is the real path 
out of the, the, the dollar. I mean, or out of, say, your local uh, electric grid. Yeah. Yeah, the path is obvious. I, I, I don't think that any person, not myself, not anybody, can in one day just run away. So this is not, and this is where sort of archetypes or stories that you have in your head play a big deal in thinking poorly. Mm. If I think about this as, okay, I live on a, on a certain kind of plantation that is, that is operated through debt confiscation or the threat of debt confiscation, and because of which I'm dependent on this or that government program or this or that employer. So therefore, I kind of crush my soul every day in order to make the money that I need to stay where I am and have the comforts that I have. None of this is equivalent to a story of I live on a plantation, I run away, I'm in the north now, and I'm free. The problem with thinking that way is that that was one configuration of slavery, and you could still be taken back south if they caught you. So the idea is for you is that certain things have to become free before the rest can become free because usually your material circumstances and the way that you're spending your time and the things that you're investing emotion in and energy have to do with spiritual or yeah that's fine spiritual things that you may have never thought about yeah, so inner, you, inner person things inner inner yeah. inner mind things if if you can't be free sitting in a prison cell you can't be free at all I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like a whole nother level. I, I think that, I think that what we're talking about are things that often people don't talk about. So let me give you an example mm. so that it doesn't remain abstract is that if it's unnatural for you to leave your children during the day. Okay. Especially if you're a woman, you feel this, you're checking your phone all the time. You want to see how they're doing at the daycare or wherever they are. One I'm of pretty the things sure you feel it the first time you drop them off in the stream. Yeah. Like you feel yeah. it. You know it's there. One of the things to ask yourself is, why is it like this? And do I want it to be different? Because a question that a free person asks himself is, how do I want to do this? If I have the freedom, let's say in a limited sense to, you know, fix my lighting in my living room any way that I want, then I don't start out asking, okay, what do all these other people think? I think, how do I want to do this? Maybe I get advice, but Finally, I have to do it. You have that same freedom by nature, okay? So people can't actually take this from you. They can demand obedience and you can give it or not, but they can't take from you determination over whether or not you keep your children during the day or you go somewhere to a job to pay for someone else to keep your children during the day so that you can hold on to, let's say, other things that seem to be economically valuable, like the house, which has a certain mortgage payment every month, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what your finances are. I don't know what your credit history is. But what I'm saying is we don't get into things by accident. We get into them because we believe certain things that we may have never thought about because believing is deeper than thinking. Yeah. And because we've gotten into them, now we're involved in things where it seems like, and this is the absolute state of slavery, spiritually speaking, it seems like there is no alternative. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> that's slavery, right? So when when you start out talking about you know slavery, a slave of Jesus Christ, the reason that we think that is because there is no spiritual alternative for us. There is none. I don't want any other. That's why Christianity is an exclusivist religion. Yeah, so, it seems like trying to escape yeah. slavery in this age is ultimately impossible. Right. It's a quixotic, right. not an epic. 
if I can say it again and really mean it, I really mean it. It's a quixotic, not an epic. Passive nonviolent resistance is something that came out of my head as you were talking about that. It makes me think of Dr. King mm-hmm. and uh, the 60s, which has its whole other, well, more than one other side of itself. But I'm not sure that we should go there today so much as just put our foot on the neck of usury um, yeah. as best as we can. And and if you can make the case both for like, if you could start with, you know, biblically, I think that's what a lot of people think of when they hear that word. Yeah. And then maybe how that became a different thing in the Middle Ages than what, say, it was in Levitical Codes. And then you're also going to have what's going on in Delaware versus, say, my just 6% rate, right, on my yeah, home Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, because usury is still a word used in certain American law to define something that it wasn't in the Middle Ages or antiquity. So usury for us, legally, where it, where it exists, is going to mean excessive charging of interest. And excessive, obviously, is the flexible thing there. And so that can be determined and redetermined by legislation or regulation. In the Bible, when you're talking about usury, you're talking about charging interest, full stop, which is limited to charging interest within the household of God, within, in Old Testament terms, within the Commonwealth of Israel. And you don't do that in the same sense that slavery is not truly slavery within Israel because it can be opted out of at certain times by the slave himself. He can also choose to remain in it, but that (laughs) even if he says, yes, I want to remain your slave, that's still a little bit different than the way that we think about it, the way that I've been talking about. It's closer to becoming a son than it is anything else. I think Mm -hmm. for them, it's, it's, it's kind of like, I don't have a father. You're mine. Yeah. You're uh, part of the family. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the way I got usury out of you just there now is that usury is a universally applied interest rate. That is, it does not take the situation into account and it does not care who the person is. It's just you owe. And I think that would be, at least from a Judeo-Christian point of view, the wrong, the thing that won't scale (laughs) is going to do evil things if you apply a universal standard to every individual situation of debt. And usury then, uh, as an idea, that's why that they didn't want to be excessive, right? They had to have whatever universal had to be so small that it couldn't be what would just destroy people. So Middle Ages, wild, wild, though, I mean, this word takes on a little bit of different meaning. It becomes associated with Judaism, really. Um, and we think we ought to be honest about that historically or whatever it means. Well, usury, usury in Christianity is developed into a general principle, which has to do also with a Christian understanding that things that were sort of like a good idea for a limited number of people in Old Testament times, because of the possession of the spirit in the church, should actually be more extensive in New Testament times. So if in Old Testament times, you know, you couldn't charge a brother interest, that is someone also among the tribes of Israel, in New Testament times, that's extended to the idea that you shouldn't charge anyone interest because it's doing wrong to your neighbor. Taking advantage. You're taking advantage of your neighbor. And that also integrates Greek philosophy as Christian theology really has since its beginning by taking up Aristotle's contention that money is essentially unproductive. That yeah, it doesn't, which is kind of your point from earlier. That the gov- is, The right. government is money and it's unproductive. Right, right. That, that money is a means of exchange, but is very much open to abuse because it's unproductive. And that charging interest is trying to, is 
in the in the strictest sense of the word unnatural yeah so when yahweh hates uneven scales it's not just sort of some voodoo they were throwing around like there's there's reasons and stuff yeah and so like if if i if i sell you a sheep and i charge more because it's a female sheep and you're going to get more sheep out of it or i charge you even more for a ram because he's going to impregnate however many female sheep and you're going to have that much more that's okay and it's okay to use money for that because there is natural increase coming out of what I've given you. But if I give you the use of $2 and I say, there's a 200% interest rate on that, <laughs> then, <laughs> then that doesn't fat, because fat those, Tony those, be coming around Saturday night. If you're not ready. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, yeah those, because those $2 don't make two more dollars. And I know that people are going to kind of flip out about this, but one of the things to realize is that, almost everybody's economic thinking in the West is governed more by developments of the 18th and especially the 19th century from the Austrians through kind of proto-Keynesians than it is governed by Christian theology, even if you are a Christian. That's why there is almost universal dismissal, even among German Lutheran men, of Martin Luther's thoughts on economics as if he were a sort of an idiot, mm -hmm. you know, like yeah. he just didn't know what he was doing. No, he was looking at this all from a completely different standpoint, which was money, trade, exchange, business exists for the flourishing of households. Mm -hmm. The households don't exist for the flourishing of money, trade, exchange, business. But you can see, even just look at what's on the news or what people are kind of taught by, you know, tickers to care about is, is the Dow Jones up or down today? They usually know that. They don't know what happened with their kid at school that day. Right, right, right. So in New Jersey, what is the level of usury going on at this point? Just to bring all things back to Biden for a moment, at least. <laughs> oh, in Delaware? Uh, I mean, Delaware. I'm, sorry, I, I'm sorry. These small states on the East Coast that I can, I learned them on a map and they haven't exactly moved around the way some of the ones in Africa and Central Asia <laughs> have done. And yet, even yes. though I've yeah. lived there, yeah. I really cannot see a difference between New Jersey and Delaware. In fact, I think maybe uh, there should be maybe four states on the East Coast with two senators from each state. And that might help. <laughs> might help yeah, us balance yeah. the problem that California is for the entire nation, period. Of course, it's 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 Illinois that's running the show. They're just using everybody. But anyway, that's, yeah, Delaware. That's right. I'm sorry. Well, Did he's... I not realize that, that the Bidens have great pride in their state and are there for the people, obviously? They, they do. Uh, but, I mean, he has been called over his career the senator from MBNA, which is a bank. Um, and a credit card company yeah. because he's been instrumental in Delaware becoming what you would think of as like an, even though it's onshore and offshore tax haven or, or corporate refuge right? where legally it's running on a different system from in corporate law from much of the rest of the United States. Uh, although South Dakota is becoming something like this and that's very much onshore, but with credit card companies, South Dakota works this way. And that is that you headquarter there because you're going to be taxed a different rate and usury will be much more incentivized than it is in, say, Massachusetts, where they still have a Yankee conscience about things like payday loans you, and you, whether or not you can have a lot of those, you know. You know who's going to be in, in South Dakota over the next, I don't know, 30 years and be more than happy to take on a little debt? Some Latinos. They're piling in from the South as farmhands. They'll happily take out a credit card. 
God help us all, man. God help us all. That's awful. That's awful. That's just a planned slavery right there, man. I, I thought I liked South Dakota. I take it back. All you up there, get out. Come to Rockford. <laughs> oh, but it's, it's brutal. So every way you go, though, it's going to run through men uh, uh, piling up ways to make the story reciprocate itself so you can't get out of it. Delaware and now South Dakota are within the U.S. one place where corporates are using this for haven. But for the listener, the, you know, we can't talk to them. They're not going to throw the corporation down. This kind of goes a little Dave Ramsey now, doesn't it? Like, you've got to get out of debt. Yeah, because debt is identified, I mean, as far back as the Bible, as slavery, full stop, debt equals slavery. And the issue there is that debt is a beholding, and you're going to be paying interest rates in modern America, but even if there were no interest rate, it is a being beholden to someone. And there, that is a kind of relationship that I think the exaltation of community as such doesn't really capture because, and this, this has to do with something maybe I haven't talked about, maybe not enough. I don't idolize the middle ages the way some, especially right-wing Christians do. And the reason I don't is because there is some reason that people were willing to enter into at least a temporary form of slavery to get out of 17th century and 18th century Europe. And you have to ask yourself, why did they leave these cozy little communities? Prima noctra, man. For goodness <laughs> sakes, I would have, I, my, my people's I'm, I'm Scott, you know, okay, so Prima Nocta, yeah, no way, stop it. And it was there in part, at least. And then, so you got pamphlets lying around, come to America, we won't tell you what to do. That's why. I mean, uh, yeah, I, and, I, and, and even if some of that was a lie, and even if some people go to places like America or Australia or South Africa or wherever, or Canada to, you know, for bad reasons, that's always true. There are bad people everywhere. But the idea that, community and existing in a densely settled community with long settled traditions, that is not a per se, if you just think about the words I used, not a per se good thing. It could be that in 200 years, we have a long settled tradition of wearing surgical masks everywhere in public. Are you going to think it's good just because it's been there for a long time? It's going to be just like wearing hats. It's just like all of the it's earrings. It's why we wear certain kinds of shoes. It's where kilts came from. I mean, it's all of it, man. It's like they did something for a religious reason, and then everyone kind of forgot, and it became yeah. normal. And yeah. again and again, I mean, you see the hats they wear in ancient Egypt? I mean, like, think about it. <laughs> so the, the, the idea of being beholden is different from saying, well, I owe my father love because he's my father. Yeah, okay. right. Exactly. Being your father, the, the love that you owe your father or the love that you owe your grandchildren or your children or your spouse is not a love that is being kind of sucked out of you and is destroying you as you provide it. One of the things about slavery is, is not is actually it may actually be easier than being free. You won't have to work for yourself. You won't have to do all the work. You won't have to fill out all the paperwork yourself. Somebody will take care of it, okay? But the issue is that it is not you and it is not yours. And so it can be taken away no matter how good you like, how much it is, how good it is for you. It can be taken away at any time. And that's why I see last year, 2020 to be clear, and even this year and the future as very often, and this is where we're going to be going with kind of specific things over the next month and a half, at least the way I kind of gamed it out, 
when you look at things that they're talking about right now or doing right now, you can usually find something at least 20 years ago, if not sometimes 100 or 200 years ago, that was really kind of the same thing, except usually more limited in duration. And they couldn't keep the messaging as consistent as they can now that we all have scrying stones in our pockets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the notion of being beholden to somebody is something that has been brought up over and over and over again. And the reason it keeps coming up in American politics from the first and the revolts in early America during the time, the kind of interregnum between the end of the revolution and the full onset of the constitutional regime that interregnum, all the revolts are about money. They're about taxes mm -hmm. and production and pensions owed. And the reason that they're about money is because money is the primary way to enslave you. So if somebody has debt over you or they have your entire livelihood hanging over you, if you go against the training and re-education that you're receiving in this meeting coming up next Tuesday, mm -hmm. exactly, then they have you. You are beholden to them. You are theirs. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. Yeah, so when someone says, what am I supposed to do when this happens, is a question pastors are going to be hearing a lot more of. Yeah. And the answer is going to have to be decide whether or not you're this or that. You know, yeah. uh, you know yeah, what, yeah, yeah, what yeah. is your religion uh, right. after all? What right. is your philosophy? If, you're not, if you don't have a religion, you're just a philosophy guy. You know, what is yeah. your philosophy after all? Are you Socrates? Are you Socrates? God bless you. You know, I mean, I, I, you know, it wasn't true. It was tragic. <laughs> I mean, my my philosophy on this is that I am an abolitionist. I do not believe slavery is natural to human beings. I think it's always destructive of yeah. both the slaveholder and the slave on a spiritual level, however comfortable it is materially, because it usually it's usually extremely beneficial to the slaveholder. That is why cheap labor is generally the source of every wave of both changes in slave demographics I mentioned earlier, but also immigration waves in American history. Cheap labor is always better for the guy that's hiring labor than for the laborer, especially the one that was there before the cheap labor was brought in. Is that what they call supply and demand? Yep, you I got it. Supply and demand. It. And one way you can tell that a lot of the left wing of the Democratic Party, I wish they were serious about their own ideas because some of them I support. The reason you can tell they're not serious about the working class is because they continue to favor unrestricted immigration. This really has nothing to do with race or voting right, demographics right, on right. a basic level. It has to do with, okay, uh, all of these Mexican guys you brought in in like 2002, they're going to get overtaken by Guatemalan guys you brought in in 2012. And then in 2022, you're going to find somebody in Bolivia and bring more Bolivians to wherever. It has the same effect on the laborer. It has the effect of making his labor of less what value. What it does is it lets me move this stack of papers from my office to that senator's office. And now we're both going to get richer and our families will get richer and our constituents will make – when I say bank, my bank constituents – can a bank make bank? Can I say that? Does it work that way? Our yes, banks will, will make bank? Slavery is forced fatherhood. Come lie with me, she said to her slave. What a great job until that moment. And man, it go downhill for a while after that. If you don't know the story, you should look it up sometime. Um, and yeah, it's like it's like slavery is a form of, of like soft murder. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is because it, it rots you out and it makes you hollow and it makes you believe that the time spent earning money is more valuable than the time spent with your family. And I'm telling you, 
it's not going to be. It isn't now and it's never going to be. You're going to have all that and you won't know your kids. So the thing to think about, I think, as we are getting a little close, I got to get going in yeah, a yeah. few Whenever minutes, you gotta run. Is, is that when we think about applications, I don't want to be harshly prescriptive because I don't think it generally works for long lasting change with people. So if you want me to say, should we have one income or two incomes? I would say in a prescriptive way, you need one income earned by the father of the household and the mother needs to be with the children. And I sincerely believe that. And I have reasons for believing that. But to tell you that doesn't help you change if you know that you are living in some form of slavery. Because the abolition that we have to enact for ourselves will, I think, have to be a gradual abolition in all of our lives. And it has all kinds of facets. So to, to say you can lay out an ideal, but I think the first place to start is to start with asking questions, starting with what if. What if I were free in this part of my life right. where I know I'm not? Right. And what, what you're seeing in your own life, what I'm seeing in my own life, is that taken at that level positive change does happen. Yeah. And so again, if this happens to be a religion, you can just trust God's with you and keep working. If you don't have that on your side, I can't help you there. I'm just a weirdo on that end. So uh, Dr. Adam Kutz is going to run and I'm going to do a little talk about podcast channel future realities and, and, and things like that. Um, so you go ahead and run and I'm going to keep recording right. here. Adam Kutz, uh, the doctor going off to take care of his family. We'll see you next time. See you. In it. Take it easy. And so, okay, here, here's the deal. We, I've heard from you, and I'm sorry, I've tried to say this as often as I can. The, if you get a brief history of power on your phone or your device to listen to via whether po uh, iTunes or Overcast or Podbean itself, Podbean, please understand, is a host for a podcast that also wants you to listen to it there, which I consider a bit weird, but it just is what it is, but it allows you to send it out through everywhere else. And there's only one podcast listening thing out there that I don't have it in. And I, I can't remember which one is it starts with a Z or something. Anyway, so you can find it anywhere, right? But it, it gives you this channel where when it shows up, you've got more bonus content than you've got regular content so far as the brief history power being the content on the channel. So I'm aware of this. I'm aware of this. I've been aware of this from before I did it. Okay. And the reason is because I'm rebranding the channel as a brief history of power with two white guys, me and Dr. Kuntz. And I want it to stay there because it's the one kind of clean only podcast that I'm doing. And this is that podcast channel further. I actually want to increasingly give ownership. If you haven't noticed in the conversation, I always do give ownership, mastery at least, I hope I give it to him, uh, to Dr. Coons. Uh, because, you know, he's the one who's done the reading on this. I'm sitting at his feet and you're just listening along while I learn. And that's awesome. And I want that to keep going. I don't necessarily want you to not find the sermons or to not find the other Christian content here. But then again, the goal of this particular podcast is not necessarily to have to have you be Christian to agree with 99% of what we say here. So for that reason, the goal is to move those pieces of content onto a new podcast channel, which will be called the Mad Christian Podcast, right? And this will be where the Saturday morning chill and all the bonus content for the sermons, all that, that'll get there eventually. Now, this isn't happening anytime soon. None of the, the irons are really in the fire. This is an embryo. And what has been an embryo as is an idea waiting for a certain moment that I'm glad to share with you, which is that our podcast downloads now top 10, the top six are a brief history of power. That means that a brief history of power as downloads listened to is has surpassed the the sermons and the, the Saturday morning chill. Now, three months ago, that was not the case, actually. So. 
We have moved the podcast in a good direction in terms of its viability holding on to the station. If you can think of the channel, uh, the podcast, Podbean being like the station. And now over the next probably two, three, four months, I'm going to move the um, the non-Brief History of Power content onto a new station, right? A new channel um, that probably will not be Podbean uh, after my experience with Podbean, but I don't know yet. I haven't done that research yet. But I want, I've been talking with pa- Pastor Kuntz about this, and I want to let you all know too, so that for the time being, I'm sorry. If you got to if you got to delete or not look at, not pull down the bonus content. Um, there's a lot of people who do listen to that still. It's its own reality, right? So that's got to kind of be there for now. But the goal is something a bit more streamlined. Recognizing, of course, I hope you've realized you can't catalog the internet. You really can't. Don't try. <laughs> uh, and uh, you, what you want to do is get the information to the people who are willing to work for the information. Because I, I'm not I'm not doing this for me, right? I'm doing this for you. And if you're not going to work for it, well, I mean that, that's kind of. That's kind of on you. We'll, we'll catch you all next time. So I'm Jonathan Fisk, a pastor here in Rockford, Illinois. It is a good place to make a stand, but I also contend probably the best place to make a stand, at least today, is right where you are.